Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you in the house of the Lord today as we continue our Oh My Soul series. We, we began last week by saying this is going to be a few weeks of kind of, if you're a little bit newer to renew, like a spiritual emphasis couple weeks here as we prepare for our week of prayer as a church. This is a prayer series. We're digging in a little bit to that inner man. The scripture in Hebrew refers to as nefesh or, or our soul or our breath. We're talking about that inner person. And, and, and for the scholar in the room, we're not necessarily diving into dichotomy, trichotomy, mind, body, soul. We're just talking about our soul, that scripture speaks of, that inner person sometimes we talk to, even sometimes we talk to out loud. And we're talking today about the need to nourish that part of our life. In order for anything to flourish, it has to be nourished at the root. And if it's not nourished at the root before long, it can possibly wither. And that's why we wanna take these opening weeks in our church's calendar, to kind of just do a spiritual emphasis. And so you'll notice a slightly different template. We'll leverage testimonies when they have an option, but we'll also give you time to pray even in the service. So we're glad you're here today. This has been our question. How is your soul? Um, I, I'm fine. Have you ever worked with young people and you've said, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, fine. And you're like, yeah, you're not fine. I'm fine. Nah, you're not fine. I'm fine. Oh, oh, yeah. I remember the years I, I spent as a youth pastor, you would see um, teens come in and sometimes you could tell in their countenance that something's wrong. And I would joke. I'd be like, mom and dad make you come tonight. <clears throat> I was like, it'll work out. Don't worry. And you see something's wrong and they don't necessarily want to say it, but, but down deep, they're kind of troubled in their soul. Well, there's this one particular young man. Um, he kept telling me he was fine and I knew he wasn't fine. And, and um, before long, there was a time we were starting to play a volleyball game right here in the same room you're in. And um, as the game's going on, he's going a little hard for church volleyball. Um, somebody's got to say this from a pulpit. You know that some people, um, you, they lack a little self-awareness in the area of sports at a church. You know, it's like they're trying out for the NFL or something at, you know, we got leaders taking little kids out in dodgeball going, let's go, you know, kids never coming back to church again. Um, so this is going on and one of the leaders notices it and they're going back and forth a little bit. His rage is building inside. You can just see it inside of him. And, and the leader's kind of trying to keep him humble like every good Christian leader should. And, and they're going back and forth. And, and before you know it, he explodes. Now, now we got people shoving each other. The same young man who's fine. He's fine, guys. He's fine. I can share from my testimony. I spent a couple years of my high school life with crazy anger inside of me while sitting in church. I, I, know, I know there are men in this auditorium who are sitting here and they can struggle with anger. I know there are ladies sitting in this auditorium that can struggle with anger. And, and sometimes it comes out. And sometimes, mom, it comes out. Oh my goodness, it comes out, doesn't it? Somebody pulls in front of you, mom, and there you are. And you know, and you think the kids aren't picking up on some of this until they turn into teenagers and then they start giving feedback. See, when they're young, you pick on them a little bit. Younger generation, you know how adults pick on you while you're standing there? It's like, really? 
Well, as you get older, they start pointing it out. Oh, here goes dad again. What do you mean here goes dad again? We know what this is gonna look like. We're about to get a sermon. Oh, really? Why? Because they notice something's down beneath. Can I ask you how you're doing? More specifically today, I wanna talk about harboring angry thoughts in the soul. Really? What are some signs? Irritable spirit. An irritable spirit is a sign. Um, Impatience. It's a sign. There could be some anger down in the root. Um, Cruelty with people. Being cruel is a sign of harboring anger. Um, Arrogance. Uh, Pride likes to cover up insecurity. And sometimes an arrogant tongue is hiding anger. Um, Tenseness. Just a, a feeling of tenseness. But they often say when someone's struggling with anger in the root, down in that tree, down that root system, and, and the branches might be withering a little bit, they often say you can see it in their eyes. Their eyes have that kind of rage in them. Now, if you're a, a child of the 90s, you're thinking Incredible Hulk right now. But you see it in their eyes as they're, they're getting angry. And it exposes itself. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? I am upset, you might say. I am putting on a good face. But the reality is, I do have some anger. And if you guys had a family argument in your car on the way over, I was not there, I didn't know. But sometimes, within children, as little as four or five, all the way through seniors, the enemy likes to use a rotting soul to destroy other people's lives. And Jesus would like to have the final word on your soul. Why? Because he's known as, you ready for this title? The lover of your soul. He loves you. God loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And so we're talking to the believer during our spiritual emphasis week. We're talking to the child of God. We're talking to someone who accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, but knows down in the root system, they've got some stuff, they got some junk, and they wanna go down there, but they're not sure how to navigate it. Because if they're honest, if they're really honest about their anger, if they're really honest about what they're going through in their life, if they really wanna be really clear about it, they're just a little upset with you, God. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to do that in church? I mean, this is the place we come to pretend everything's okay, right? We're going to, we're going to talk about getting angry with fact God didn't heal my grandma. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact that I've been suffering while this guy keeps getting away with it. We're going to talk about the fact that this shouldn't be happening in our world, God. We're going to talk about the fact that that happened to that family or that happened to that school. We're going to talk about this because I'm pretty upset about it. And the Lord's like, I can handle this. None of your feelings are surprising me. I already know how you feel, child. It's best you talk to me about it versus being rotting in the root. Heavenly Father, would you help us in humility dig deep 
We're a world that loves the surface. We're a world that loves to just put band-aids on things. But the reality is a lot of the difficult feelings and emotions we're struggling with comes down to a question or two we have about you. And our feelings sometimes can win the day, Lord, so help us navigate these so that we can live a life that is flourishing even amidst evil and suffering. We'll pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our Psalm is Psalm 13. In this series, we're talking about honest praying, getting real with God, going, this is where I'm at. And Psalm 13 will be our, our Psalm. Now, now, this is important. In the study of how to interpret scripture, it's referred to in seminary as hermeneutics, okay? It's important to know what kind of psalm we're about to read. This is what's called a lament psalm. And a lament psalm seems to have an outline form it goes off of. You can pick up on it as we go through the psalm yourself if I give you a little bit of an overview. The psalm will begin with an addressing of God, a calling out to God. Then the psalm, if it's a lament, will offer a complaint. You want, well, what? Yeah. He's gonna to complain to God about something. Oh, okay. Um, and then there's a petition. And then fourth, or, or a petition or an ask of God, I'm asking this of you. And then fourth, there's an expression of trust. And then you'll see with lament psalms, they'll end most often in praise. <laughs> Wait a minute, they begin with like a, I wanna to talk to you, God, and then they even complain and then they end with praise? Yeah, how, how could I possibly learn how this is effective way of praying for my anger today. I'm 13, we know it's David, and he says, if you have a paper Bible in front of you, it probably says, to the choir master, which is really interesting because this is written to be sung in the assembly if it's given to the choir master. So David's writing this and he wants this given to the choir director. So this is gonna be good. This is gonna be something we should all be singing. So here, we, let's start out. Here we go. Okay, ready? Here's the first line. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Boy, if Pastor Gabe started with that in the first song, we'd be like, is he okay? Somebody check on him? Like, really? Oh yeah, Psalm 13. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? One of the neat things, you might like this if you just like, uh, just kind of ruminating on scripture. One of the neat things is David is asking a corporate singing of a personal pronoun. It's as if David's saying, I want people to work through their feelings. And David right now is feeling. In fact, I'm gonna propose five feelings in this psalm that lead to anger at the root of your spiritual life. This is his first feeling. He feels forgotten by God. I feel forgotten. How long will you forget me forever? Now, maybe you grew up in more of a, a, an environment where it was a people-pleasing environment, or maybe a legalistic environment where you go, I, I feel this way. Well, you need to stop it because that's just wrong. Let's go. Well, I, I, I feel upset about this. Well, you need to understand. Jesus is on the throne. Knock it off. Let's go. But, but dad, but dad, we're fine, we're fine. Well, then why are you cursing at mom all week and smiling at Jesus on Sunday? Can we just be real? 
Because a lot of young people have walked away from the faith because they've witnessed hypocrisy. So how can we get into the root and go, can we just deal with reality so we don't see people living in this confusing state of feelings? Because I have feelings and I can't ignore them. And please understand something. David has zero doubt in the God he loves. So when he is unpeeling his feelings, this is not from a position of, I know better than you, that some people bring to God. This is, God, I trust you so much. Where are you? I feel forgotten. You say, well, now stop that. You shouldn't feel that. But you, you stop it. When you've been praying for 10 years to have a child and you can't have one. That's the emotion here. I know what the Bible says, but I'm feeling this. And I need to talk about it. And the psalmist goes, I'm coming to you. Well, well, let's see how he does here. Let's see, he, he keeps going. So, so he says this, how long will you hide your face from me? Okay, he's not in a better place yet. Um, the psalmist now feels he's abandoned by God. Well, you're not abandoned by God. Now that's, now stop it. You're, you're not, we know it. But I feel that way right now. And I'm telling the Lord, I feel abandoned by God. Well, we can't be that... But you say that to someone who struggles with cluster headaches so bad, it's more comforting to bang your head against the wall, hoping that pain will offset the pain that's making you throw up all night long. Tell that to someone who has been praying to God to release the gout pain, which is one of some of the most vicious pain you could experience that's going on for days and months and years. They feel this way. And David, when he's mad, he prays mad. When he's sad, he prays sad. When he's upset, he prays upset because he loves God and wants to know what's up. He continues, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart how much of the day? Have any of you, have any of you ever experienced what it's like to be sorrowful? Not, not in the morning, not in the evening, all the day? I have a very dear friend that lost their child in their teen years. And I said, how often do you think of them still? It's been years, every day. Every day, every day. And in those beginning stages, it was all the day. The psalmist says, that's where I'm at. I'm at that spot. I feel sorrowful. I feel in those moments unloved. Those are the moments you kind of feel unloved by God. I'm suffering here. And, and, and this, is, this, is a, this is an interesting spot. When you're going through something like this, when you're struggling with feeling unloved by God, sometimes these thoughts can creep in. And here's the thought. Did I do something wrong? 
Is God mad at me? Did our family, is that why we're going through this? And it's amazing, if you're familiar with Job, Job's friends show up in those moments sometimes. Probably you are a sinner and this is your fault. Did I do something wrong? And, and the enemy loves to shame the child of God going through suffering like, oh, God's doing this because of what you did last year. He's so good at that. And when feelings can be run and reckless, you can feel unloved by God. What does the psalmist continue to say? We got two more. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? How long are my enemies gonna be allowed to talk, hurt, and threaten me? The psalmist feels, you ever feel this? Unprotected by God. They're just gossiping about me every day, the young girl might say. I know what they're saying about me. God, are you gonna ever stop this? The administrators might say, Lord, you're really just gonna let them attack my name online and say trolling things about me? Can you defend me? You know I'm trying to do the best thing. Are you gonna just let my enemies attack me and attack me? Do something. I mean, your name is El Gabor. You're the mighty God. You gonna let my boss let me talk to me like that all the time? I mean, come on, God. I'm praying to you. I need you. He feels targeted. And it's as if God's not doing anything. And when you feel vulnerable like that, anger can, can take root. Consider me and answer me, oh Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I might sleep the sleep of death. There, the psalmist says it. My eyes, light them up. Bring that joy back. I know as a dad, one of my favorite things to do is light my kids' eyes up. And here's what I mean by that. You can see sometimes when they're going through difficult times, whether life's gotten a little bit hard or difficulty. All, all, all sometimes you have to do, and I might get in trouble for this, all sometimes you have to do, hey, do you need to stay home tomorrow from school? The eyes light up, don't they? It's like the sickness goes away for a few minutes, right? But, or, or you know what, maybe there was a rough game. Maybe your kids are in a, there was a rough game and you say, you know what? Man, Buffalo Wild Wings is still open. It, it just, the eyes open up. Maybe that doesn't speak. Maybe, maybe it's like, hey, let's go shopping or something, right? Maybe you need, like, like we love, as a dad, I love to light my kids' eyes up when they're going through a discouraging time. Do you not think that's similar to God? And David's saying, light my eyes up again. Lest my enemy might say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. God, there's a lot of people who wanna see me fall. Don't let him win. He feels, here's the final one, ignored. He's got these feelings just racing through him. I put them all together. You ever feel any of these? We're allowed to say, have you ever felt any of those? If you have, you're in the same company of the one who is said to be loved and close to God. David feels forgotten, feels abandoned, feels unloved, feels unprotected, feels ignored. And there's anger kind of building up inside of him. I've been near people in moments when they've been really raw in their emotion. 
Chris, we went to that doctor, to that doctor. We prayed for this, we prayed for this. We tried to keep him not getting alone by himself. We tried to have him over here. We tried to get her in this spot. We did everything we could. We prayed, we had a prayer group. We had pastors come over and stand over there. We did everything. We prayed for year after year after year and God did nothing. They're gone now. He did nothing. And I see it in their eyes. He did nothing. Nothing. Oh, oh, don't breathe that, that psalm you're talking about. Yeah, we put that as a sticky note. And I watched him die. He did nothing. We had this. We memorized that. We went to church. We were a good family. And he did nothing. That's the emotion here. I mean, it, it, it's raw. And it's not the time to go. Now, one of the things you have to realize about, no, the emotion's so raw that you know what they really need is a hug because there is a massive wound and the anger is coming from a spot of, I trust God, I believe in God. I know he could have prevented it and he didn't. And now I'm here and the psalmist is going, I feel that way. Have you ever wrestled with it? Why, God? Have you ever met somebody at work who's wrestling with why? Evil and suffering, why? And the answer in that moment, unless they're at least calm, is it, well, when sin entered this world and Satan tempted, we have Satan and sin, your sin, other people's sin are gonna lead to suffering. In this world, you have trouble. It's not the time to be working through the theology of evil and suffering. Why God, not, why God allow this? Well, God didn't wanna make robots. He wanted us to have a choice. He gave us that freedom, but he's not responsible for all these acts done by people and these wicked things that they do to one another. These aren't the moments to get into this theological back and forth of the difference between God's will and his plan and the back and forth that people struggle with because the emotions are so raw and there's something at the root of it. Have you ever investigated what's at the root of your anger? Our church has a high view of soldiers and people who give of their life for protecting other people. Here's a testimony that I, I got to hear of a, of a soldier who ministers to guys and girls who come out of combat and are struggling with what they saw and what they went through. And, and he has ministry to them. And the reason he has a ministry to them is because he went through it himself. And he had a battle with the rage he had inside him from watching injustice and evil and suffering. And he shares about that. And as he shares, he shares something that really led to him thinking a little bit different about what he was experiencing. He said, I, I, I learned something produced the rage. And he's gonna share that in his testimony. And so we're gonna take a minute here. I want you to listen for the testimony. I want you to listen for what he says that spoke to him and enabled him to start working through how Jesus can go down to that wound and have a victory even in the deepest place of a soul that's got anger rotten in it. Let's watch. You know, there was this anger in me and there was this desire in me to become someone who can defend themselves, to become someone really strong because I wasn't strong. I grew up 
an only child in a house that had a lot of anger and pain and abuse. I definitely dealt with some pretty serious bullying in my high school years. One time, uh, a guy was beating on me in class, and I looked at the teacher and she said, and I said, are you gonna do anything? And she said, well, you probably deserve it. I was searching for people who would, who would really love me and that I could love back. When I turned 17, I joined the military against my mom's desire. We had, we had to force her to sign the document. <laughs> my dad did. <laughs> and they gave me a special forces slot, which uh, would give me the opportunity to be the baddest dude I, I could become. You know, I deployed to Iraq when I was uh, 21 years old. We got into Iraq, and on the sixth day of my tour, uh, one of our helicopters uh, went down and seven of our guys were killed. And I remember my uh, chaplain waking me up at, um, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, and I remember seeing his face. And he looked at me and he said, we have, we have a fallen angel and we've lost First Sergeant Rodriguez, we've lost Anthony Mason and, and several others. And I remember my, my chaplain counseled soldiers for about 40 straight hours, one after another, after another, after another, that was just devastated. We held the memorial service and then the next day it was like it, um, it was like it never even happened. We took that pain and we put it away and we, we drove on. Several months later, there was a small town outside of our base, and one day, uh, a suicide bomber walked into uh, the school that was there and blew himself up. Our base hospital took in those kids, and my chaplain and I went to the hospital, and, um, you know, I saw, I saw children with parts of their faces missing and missing limbs, and, um, and I just stood there looking and, and taking all this in and, and feeling, um, feeling frozen. And all those feelings of wanting to be a hero or a combat dude and, you know, wanting to be, become something great. And I remember just feeling helpless. I came home and it was a couple weeks after I came home that I began having nightmares and tremors that, um, uh, that I was killing children. And I would wake up in just a pool of sweat, screaming, crying out to Jesus. And that, that began a really dark time in my life where I turned back to what I knew before I gave my life to Jesus and started drinking and partying again to try and fill that hole and to deal with what was happening. And the PTSD I was dealing with, I felt like a complete monster. I just went out one night and got so drunk and I came home and I remember having a handgun and, and processing why I should take my life and that that would actually make more sense than going on like this. And I called my uh, mentor at three o'clock in the morning, choking through tears, crying and just saying, why? Why did we lose our guys that day? Why am I experiencing this trauma. Why is this happening? And he just said to me, Ben, when the disciples lost Jesus, it was the most devastating moment of their lives. And he said, the disciples who had followed Jesus for 
three years and watched him do the impossible. You know, they thought that he was going to set up shop and become the king and use all of his power. But instead, he goes and gets taken away and is beaten within an inch of his life, and he dies on a cross. They didn't understand. And what they couldn't see in the midst of all that pain was the greatest victory that the world had ever known, and that was Jesus dying for our sins and for the sins of the world. And he said, Ben, that's where you are. You are in that place where you're in so much pain and you don't understand why, but there's a there's a Jesus victory beneath it. And if you hang in there, you're going to come back to life. Just like Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to rise back to life and you're going to have a fulfillment of a promise in your life. And I said, okay, I can believe that. I'll tell you here and now that um, it didn't get any easier, but week by week, month by month, I began to re-engage my faith, get around people who would support my journey. One of the biggest things that I learned was a phrase that has given me so much clarity, that helplessness produces rage. And all those situations, which I know so many veterans we, we, we can relate to, of standing over someone while they're bleeding out and they're dying and you feel helpless. But what I've found is that we have to go back to the root of that helplessness so that we can have clarity for that rage and allow the love of Jesus to come into that so that we don't have to be angry anymore. It was interesting. He said, helplessness produces rage. There's somewhere in your life Possibly you feel helpless, whether it's someone you know that has a disease, whether it's a belief system that you feel is under attack, whether it's feeling like you're out of control of your situation at work, wherever there's helplessness, it can often lead to rage. But underneath that, if you hang on, there's a Jesus victory. It's as if you have to go to that spot, show Jesus where it is. And in that moment, say, death gets arrested right here. I want to live. I need to arrest this. And I need to let Jesus be the one who can conquer that spot that's growing inside of me and withering this tree. How is your soul? How is your soul? You'll hear someone say in a counseling room, and then this is happening, and then this is happening, and this isn't happening. And you're like, wait a minute, what's the real issue? I just want her back. There it is. And you're helpless to do it. I'm helpless to do it. There's the spot. Let's go to that spot. Because if we don't deal with these feelings, the winds are going to blow on this tree. And if the roots aren't deep enough, it's going to wither. Why we'll come into a season of our soul. And in those moments, it feels forgotten by God. It feels abandoned by God. It feels unloved by God. It feels unprotected by God. It can even feel ignored by God. And we go, what do we do with this? What do I do with all these emotions? And my advice would be, do the biblical thing and take it straight to God. Don't take it to social media. That's not gonna help you. 
In fact, I've noticed when people are angry at God, they want to almost bash his name. They want to slander. They want to discourage other people's faith. It's almost like a way of getting back at God, but that's not a place of feeling. It's also not a place of healing to dump it on a loved one as much as they love you. That's not gonna be a place of healing. If you have these feelings blowing into your life and raging through your soul, you gotta take them straight to God because you're not gonna surprise him. And God wears big boy pants. He can handle it when we come. He's okay. He knows how you feel. Any parent knows this. When the child is going through struggle, you'd rather have them talking than quiet. Come on, let me hear it. Okay, that's better than them being quiet. And your heavenly father goes, I know how you're feeling. Don't let that enemy keep swimming in your head and lying to you with those feelings. Bring them, come on, I can handle it. And you know who took him up on that? His name was Habakkuk. Have you ever read Habakkuk? Oh, this guy is something. I mean, he goes right at God. I mean, he, he goes, I'm, I'm calling you on the carpet. And now Habakkuk was a prophet. And I know you were all reading the Minor Prophets this week, so I'm just gonna fill you in. But Habakkuk goes, I need to talk to God. I've got a question. How long? How long? Habakkuk's looking around. He's living in the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's watching his country fall apart in front of him. He's just watching his country fall apart. And he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you don't save? Why do you make me look at this sin? And why do you look idly at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so people aren't obeying the law and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. I'm living in a country that is far from God, who doesn't accept the ways of you, God, and I'm not liking what I'm watching. And God answers him. Oh, what? What does he say? What does he say? He says, look. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. You wouldn't even believe what I'm doing if I told you, Habakkuk. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And he goes on to explain how he's gonna use the Babylonians, the wicked, evil Babylonians who do not respect life, who torture people, who are corrupt in all their ways. He's going to rise them up to crush and judge Judah for her sin. Wait, wait, your game plan is to rise up a more evil country to judge the country I'm in? That's the plan. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Now, Habakkuk just was like, oh, okay. No, he goes, I got a problem with that. And he continues. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, but O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. 
You are purer eyes than, than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man before more righteous than he? You're going to let this evil nation come in here and do this? Does that mean you're okay with them? What the Lord allows, apologetic point, does not mean he endorses. We see a cycle of nations from the time of Israel. A nation leaves God, grows stronger, gets more powerful, disrespects life, gets corrupt in all its dealings, and another nation rises up and crushes it. It's a cycle throughout scripture. It's a cycle throughout time. And God says, I'm going to use the Chaldeans. And and Habakkuk's like, okay, okay, so we're going to use evil to judge? I mean, how is that a good plan? Are you endorsing that? And God says, oh, no. Oh, Babylon will pay dearly. Write, God says. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its pointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. No way. Oh yeah, you thought that was a teenager line. Wait for it, wait for it. No, God created that line. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Oh, Babylon's not getting away with this. And then five woes are given. Now, woe isn't like, woe is me. It's woe, judgment is coming. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Woe to him who mocks people. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. Woe. And when God responds and says, no, I'm gonna deal with it. It's coming. Habakkuk finishes in chapter three with a prayer. And and Habakkuk isn't necessarily healed, if you will, but he's in a different place and he prays and he says this, this prayer should be prayed with stringed instruments. So it's a song we hear and he finishes and, and you'll hear Habakkuk, he's a little bit of a piece of work because he still is kind of complaining about the way his life is, but he's turning to praise. He's slowly turning. He says this, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, God sent, we're starving down here nor the produce of the olive fail and the fields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Even though I have nothing to eat, even though my country's going down, I'm gonna rejoice. And I see something that I think we can all learn from. In those moments when we have feelings raging, we see that evil is for a time, it's because of sin. God will one day, for those who are his children, make sure to deliver you and save your soul, especially for all of eternity. But in the meantime, trust will bring healing to the most angry of souls. Let's go back to Psalm 13. Remember where David was at. 
And look at this plea here from Habakkuk before we go. Go back, I'm sorry. One more, back, back one more. Oh, I'm sorry. He's gonna get it for me, that's me. He sees the unjust economics, he sees the unjust labor, and then go to the prayer for me. He begins to pray, and there's three things I notice about this prayer. Look for the slide with the word prayer on it. And and Habakkuk, he, he pleads, he goes to God with it, and then he praises. Here it is. He pleads for God to act like he did in the past. He writes a poem about the future and then he praises him for the now. See, suffering is something that we're enduring for a time, but there will be a season of praise. But what's difficult with suffering is, suffering is the hardest of teachers. It gives the test first and then the lesson. You would think teachers, they give the lesson and then you get tested on it. But with suffering, it gives the test first And then comes the lesson. And there's lessons even in those moments of when our feelings are raging within us. Now let's go to Psalm 13. He's struggling with feeling forgotten, feeling abandoned, feeling unloved, feeling unprotected, feeling ignored. His soul feels, we've kind of thought through this, he's in a state of feeling helpless. Where do you feel helpless right now? It may be part of your anger. So what does the psalmist do? It's a lament I taught you. Or you already knew, you're at Renew Bible. And so at the end, there's gonna be a turn to praise. So, so let's see what he does. I feel all this way, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt, how? Bountiful with me. So I looked at that and went, oh oh my word, I've got a three-step process to help me navigate suffering right here from the psalmist. Make it bold, please. I have trusted, my heart shall, so I will sing. I see a past, future, and present there. And that is part of the pathway to nourishing that soul back to health. I've got to, in those moments of suffering, in those moments when I feel helpless, I have trusted in the past and God has delivered. The enemy wants to give us short memories. He he wants us to forget all the things that God has done in the past to prove his trustworthiness. I will rejoice in the future. One day, because of the work of Jesus on that cross, I will rejoice. There will be a Jesus victory underneath this suffering. So in the now, my battle cry will be a song. I'll choose to praise him in the now. That's the toughest one. But it's the pathway through the suffering. A song of thanksgiving is my battle cry. Again and again, I will rejoice for it's the soul that trusts from the God that's delivered in the past that rejoices and God will deliver in the future so to praise in the now will nourish and they'll be like a tree planted by water who does not fear when the heat comes when evil comes nor is not worried in seasons of drought and times of suffering for it's nourishing its soul from those terrifying winds of feelings that rage war against the truth you know. Feelings of abandonment, blowing, 
feelings of forgottenness, feelings of being unloved, those things need to be rectified with truth. And if we dwell only on the feelings, we can begin to believe them. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Instead, we must respond with some of the pathways we've learned. I have trusted in the past. I'll rejoice in the future, so I choose to praise now. So God, here I come. I'm dumping on you. I know you can handle it, and I know you love me. I know there's nothing I'm gonna say that surprises you, and I know there's nothing I could say that can make you love me less. I am feeling forgotten. I am feeling abandoned. I am feeling sad. I am feeling lost. Whatever the emotion is, take it to him. Take it right to him. Can I do that? Am I allowed to take my frustrations and even my anger to God? There's a, there's a list uh, I, I just pulled out of imprecatory psalms. These are psalms of, of frustration and upsetness during evil and suffering. Imprecatory means to pray, kind of a prayer of judgment and frustration. Psalm 5, 6, 11, 12, 35, 37, 53, 54, 56. Psalm 69, the psalmist is really upset. Okay, that's why I put it in bold, okay? Um, Psalm 109 as well. Psalm 143, these are psalms where the psalmist is just pouring out their feelings. They're getting them out so that they don't take root. And so they can bring them to truth. Throughout your day, what are you dwelling on? When the winds of why come, scripture tells us in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I got a brother in Christ who says a lot of us Christians struggle with what he calls and diagnoses stinking thinking. And the enemy wants us dwelling on, I'm forgotten, I'm abandoned, when you know the truth. And the soul needs that truth. And so if I'm out to destroy your life, I don't want your soul to nourish on the truth. I want it to wither in the feelings. But truth trumps feelings. Our phrase has been, in order to nourish, we need, in order to flourish, we need to nourish. For a tree planted by water does not fear when the heat comes, and is not anxious in the year of drought. Our spiritual lives need to be nourished in truth. And so what we wanna do in our final minutes together is we wanna pray through some of those feelings. We wanna even take them to God. And if you've been struggling, going, God, I've been there. And I'm gonna give you some truth for your soul to nourish on that will trump that feeling. But remember, he's the one who can take it. He's the one to go to when we're wrestling with these. And you see a model in scripture where people who love him dearly go, God, this is how I feel. But I've trusted you in the past. I know you will deliver. So I'll praise you in the now.
I've got some questions for us as we go to prayer. Am I praying honest prayers? I mean, child of God, your heavenly father knows you so well. He knows how you feel. Are you willing to be honest with him? Oh, I want to encourage you, be so respectful in your approach though. Job came to God with some questions. And one of God's responses are, was, where were you when I created the water and told it where to stop? Since you ask me why I do what I do, tell me, where were you when I did this? I don't remember seeing you. Remember, Peter says, you are but a breath that's here today and gone tomorrow. Be very respectful in your approach, but he can handle your feelings. Am I praying honest prayers? Am I willing to confess my anger? He's the best person to let him have it. Am I submitting to my feelings or to the truth? Am I allowing helplessness to produce anger in me? Am I dwelling on what's praiseworthy? So if you're here today and maybe you're feeling, feeling forgotten by God. Oh my soul, I feel forgotten. Well, here's some truth to get into the roots. Psalm 56, eight says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Your heavenly father is close to the brokenhearted. He knows you're going through a difficult time. He's not only forgotten, not forgotten, he's recording everything you're praying. Talk to God about that. feel abandoned it's how you feel here's some truth for your soul Deuteronomy 31 8 says it is the Lord who goes before you he will be with you he will not leave you or forsake you do not fear or be dismayed what voice in your soul is saying you're alone lie. Child of God, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you need to tell him you've been feeling that way and remind yourself that's not true. and you can relate to this one. Sometimes you feel unloved. You feel like maybe love someone else more than you. Psalm 136 will be good for your soul. 
Give thanks to God, the God of gods. His love endures forever. People come and go. Have you noticed that? But God's love for you lasts for all time. Don't ever let your feelings tell you God doesn't love you, child of God. He loves you now. He loved you, and he'll continue to love you. Maybe it's a moment to tell that feeling. The truth is, God loves me. to feeling unprotected by God. I feel like people have said things and he, he heard them. He, he, he knew and he's let it go. But Isaiah 41.10 is one of the most shared verses of all time amongst people. Fear not, for I am with you. Let this soul hear this. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In this season where you feel unprotected, be reminded that he's actually the one that's carrying you through these times of attack. Lean into him, gain strength for him, but nourish on that wonderful verse that he will uphold you through this. Don't let those feelings lie to you. finally maybe you feel ignored Romans 5 says we rejoice even in our sufferings knowing that suffering is doing something you're not ignored you're going through something and that suffering will produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame Suffering is producing something in us. It doesn't make it easier, but isn't it good to know that God is even using the suffering to bring forth good? It's the message of the gospel that God allowed Jesus to suffer for a victory to be won that's far bigger than just that single circumstance. Maybe take a moment to remember that Jesus is the reason you can know for sure that you have never or will never be ignored. When people are going through seasons of anger, sometimes they stop singing. Their soul is so disturbed inside, it's hard to worship because their feelings don't match up with it. But I think the opposite needs to occur. I think your soul, come on soul. Why are you downcast inside of me? Hope in God. I think your soul needs to tell those feelings we're singing. 
That's why I love one of the lines that I've always heard and thought, oh, it means to sing out all the more, and it probably does, but I take it a little different when I hear, sing like never before, oh my soul. There is healing to letting our feelings out on God, and there's healing to confessing our feelings, but there's more healing when there's nourishing in the truth. Close us with that refrain, would you, Spencer? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. One more time for our souls, let's, let's hear this one more time. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy God, we don't understand all the time why you allow some of the things you do. We know that this world so often works so contrary to your will, but we know it goes according to your plan. And you will work all things out together for the good. And we can trust that the God that delivered in the past will save in the future. And so despite circumstances, we'll sing in the now. Our soul needs to nourish in order to flourish. God, thank you for hearing us and being patient with our questions. We love you. And thank you for being the lover of our soul. Amen.